0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When you were a kid, did you ever defend yourself from bullying with the rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? How did that go for you? I've always thought it's such a strange thing to tell kids because we all know that words do hurt and language has power. It has the power to shape how we see ourselves and how we see the world. River Knight believes in the power of language. He's a co-founder of Developing Australian Communities and an expert in the disability service sector. His company recently conducted research into offensive language when it comes to people with a disability. Hi, River. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So how do Australians fare when it comes to using inoffensive language around disability? Are people
1: across it or not? Well, the research that Developing Australian Committees has recently done uh, found some interesting, I guess, results where we found that half of the people we surveyed had, had used a, a word or a phrase that would be considered offensive when talking about disability uh, in their their small, uh, close circle of friends, or out and about, and we found that uh, that changed when it was the younger groups too. So when we had the Generation Zs coming out of school, those younger younger respondents, you know, said that you know, three three quarters of them were comfortable talking about disability and felt that they were able to talk about disability in a way that was appropriate. But uh, I guess as people got older, we found that uh, you know a lot of people just they just didn't have a good idea of how to approach the topic. You know, felt like they were walking on eggshells, were either, you know, not deliberately, but, but unintentionally maybe saying things that may, maybe weren't quite PC or, you know, maybe weren't as respectful as they'd, they'd want to be. Um, I just reported that, you know, I think it was about 18% in general just described themselves as having no clue how to, how to talk about disability.
0: Well, at least they can be honest, people can be honest. But, I mean, I have to admit, terms can change, preferences can change, and sometimes it's hard to stay on top of what is appropriate or inappropriate. And disability, of course, is a broad spectrum of experience. Um, how can people stay on top of the right terminology? Well,
1: I guess coming from a disability sector background myself, I, I kind of think, oh, maybe I'm a little, bit, uh, a little bit different in my approach. I think, oh, it's actually quite easy, but it's not. You know, if you don't have that experience and you, you're not paying attention or you're just not sure, it's, I guess, about starting with the person first. So what we say to people is, you know, talk about a person with a disability rather than talking about a disabled person. You know, rather than saying wheelchair bound, you know, it's a person that uses a wheelchair. So they don't need to know the the politically correct term of what we're calling a certain type of disability nowadays. It's just about talking about the person first. But even in the disability sector, we have uh, people that may say, yeah, I'm a person with autism. And then other people who actually have autism might say, you know what, I don't carry my autism around in a backpack. I'm actually, I feel comfortable being called autistic. So even in the disability sector ourselves, um, you know, there's a there's a big difference and a, a big range of what people prefer. So we say start with talking to the person first if you're not sure. But if you if just got a guess, start with saying the person first and focusing on the person and then talking about the disability.
0: Given that you work in the sector, um, are you able to say generally? Obviously, you can't answer for everyone, but how do people respond when they are asked what they prefer? I know that personally I'd probably feel a little bit embarrassed asking um, and not wanting to offend even by asking the question, but do you have a sense of how people with a disability feel about being approached for the correct
1: terminology well, it's important that it's, it's relevant and there's a need to approach someone because we don't want people all around Australia now going to everyone they see in a shopping centre and going, you know what? There's a person in, in a wheelchair. Let's go and ask them and say, I've always felt really uncomfortable. Can you explain to me how am I supposed to talk about you? And they'll, be, they'll probably think, just like anyone else, why are you talking to me anyway? I don't know you. You're a complete stranger. If there was anybody else, would you be approaching them? So we kind of say, well, look, make sure it's appropriate in the context. You know, So if I'm an employer, for example, you know I might think, think I've got someone in a wheelchair that's coming in my workplace I'm going to have to have a conversation to make sure that I've got everything you know that's reasonable that I can do and and if you're if you're having a relationship you've got a family member you know if you're a, a young parent for example another young parent has a, a young child you know you know that when, when we've got those new diagnoses, you know happening around four five six year olds yeah you know, sometimes it, it does start to come up and you sort of might say to another mum or dad you know how do I I'm not sure what's the right language to use. So we we say, look, have the conversation if it's appropriate. But if you're in a shop and you're a shopkeeper and someone comes in in a wheelchair to buy milk and the the wheelchair makes no difference to the transaction, there's probably no need to. But just understand it's your anxiety or, or your thing that you're trying to work out. So you might find that the person you ask tells you to go away uh, because uh, just like everyone else, people with disabilities, we, we sometimes have good days and bad days. And sometimes we feel like being uh, a spokesperson and sometimes we can't be bothered. So it might just be about if it's appropriate and it's, a, it's out there and it's the elephant in the room. Sometimes we just sort of say, you know what, I'm struggling here. Can, can I just ask you, is it okay to ask? And let them guide it.
0: What difference does it make to a person with a disability if someone uses the right language?
1: It, it really just, it helps because the way we talk about things, the, the language you use, it really reflects in a lot of ways how we think about the world. So, you know, whether we value something or whether we devalue it, whether we um, can describe something in a way that comes from a place of strength or a place of deficit. You know, so if I say I'm disabled, you know, I would feel that I'm saying I can't do something. But if someone's in a wheelchair and they can get into a venue, there's no steps, you know, that, that wheelchair is not stopping them. So they're not disabled. They're using a wheelchair. But if I if I find that I have steps in front of me and I'm in a wheelchair, then I do have a challenge in front of me. But it's about if the environment's right and the people around you are right, then you may not have that disability. And I guess
0: the flip side of that is what kind of impact does it have when people use the wrong language? So they say something and that person on their side are thinking well that's how i've always spoken and why should i change my language what impact can it have when people aren't respectful with language
1: well it's it's a, a- big issue because it, it, it affects a whole family. So, you know, and, and I see it a lot, you know, when we've got, um, say, a mum or a dad or a foster care family carers where they've got a young child, you know, like, for example, someone who's newly diagnosed, we're seeing some things there, you know, maybe a young child has autism, intellectual disability or Down syndrome or something where where other parents are starting to notice, you know, those other parents, when they start talking about disability that that other person's child, you know, if they're using the wrong words or the words that just are, are not a nice experience to listen to you know families really take that on board you know because it's a it's a hard thing to process when you've got a young child and you're you're thinking about oh what's this going to mean for the rest of my life and and, and my child and, and the life they're having and how are people treating them now and is this going to continue in the future and how do I do I be an advocate do I be aggressive do I say nothing you know it comes up a lot
0: you were just mentioning earlier that with the research you did, younger kids seem to have um, a greater comfort level, I guess, with knowing that they were using language that wasn't offensive. And I'm wondering if you see education on this level in terms of language impacting on a community level, because it seems like children coming out of school now um, have perhaps have been educated better in terms of disability and language than perhaps previous generations have been?
1: I think in some ways that, that has been the experience for a lot of young people growing up in the last, you know, 10, 15 years because they 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 see disability in the classroom more, the way that it's spoken about it has changed. You know, there's that special education, uh, I guess, uh, setting has changed. We see a lot more people supported in a mainstream school rather than you know, sent off to a special education unit that's separate. Uh, so I think a lot of young people just see it more and they have that that chance to to have it role-modelled and I guess the, the teaching staff that are always receiving professional development around disability, you know, it's very conscious for them to think about how do they talk about this in the classroom. And the kids, I think, they pick up on that I mean, with children, any point of difference is often something that kids use to, to bully or point out. But at the same time, if you if you want to see how to treat a person with a disability, sometimes the best thing to do is, is to look at how their brothers and sisters treat them. Because I can guarantee you, once you start talking to someone, once you've got used to that, it stops being even part of your awareness and you, and you forget. And it, that's what we kind of are wanting to move towards. And we see that in the playground, you know, the more that people see it and the Paralympics has been fantastic for this, Uh, The more people see it, the more it's normalised. And it's not something that is hidden away. It's something that's part of our community because people are part of our community. And that 15% or that We The 15 movement that's come out and got a lot of attention through the Paralympics has done a great job of really just showing that people with disability are valuable members of our community, just like everyone else. And just like everyone else, we have good days and bad days. We have mortgages. We have to go to work. You know, it's just a normal experience of life.
0: River, thank you so much for talking with us today.
1: No worries. Thanks so much for having me.
0: That's River Knight. He's a co-founder of Developing Australian Communities. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at parentbrand.com.au. See you next time.